three, right. two, one. Here we go. Hello there, whiskey pot. <laughs> 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 Hello there, Whiskey Posse. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am your host, Nicholas Polacki, joined as always with my beautiful co-host, Mr. Mitch Bouchard. Mitch, I love the spectacles today, by the way. Beautiful, like glasses. Nice. Thanks, man. These are my special are, Well, glasses. to be fair, I've been drinking since breakfast, so. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting to that point where I need special reading glasses now. You, have you got there yet? I had my eyes lasered. Oh, you did? Yeah, about a year and a half ago, because I couldn't see long distance, and it's a game changer. It's it's not a particularly pleasant um, recovery and experience. My eyes are super sensitive. For almost a year, my eyes were really sensitive to light, to the point that I actually went for dinner with somebody about three weeks after I got uh, my eyes done, and I was crying at the dinner table, and I had to get up and leave. Like, I had to leave the dinner. I was with my bed business partner and the head buyers for all of Total Wine and More, the one for Mr. Michael Leary, and he was there with his partner, and I was like, this, this is the first time I met him, and I had tears streaming down my face, like I was, like, seriously, like, I watching some sad, sad, sad rom-com, and uh, yeah. Here, here, here's an old person question, though, what about close-up? Can you read stuff close-up still? I can read stuff close-up. So I can. So do you find yourself pulling things further away from you so you can oh. get your... Big time. Like, <laughs> honestly, see, like, I did a whiskey dinner last night, right? We were yep. chatting about the whiskeys, and obviously that's fine. But then someone goes, like, what's the, what's the ABV on it? And you know yourself, when you talk about so many whiskeys, you're like, ah, oh, I can't remember the ABV. See, trying to see the ABV in a bottle now, it's brutal for me. I'm like, can you read this for me? You know, like. Are you going to have one of those little chain necklaces with the little readers? Yeah. And, like, change out your glasses on? Going to go old Charlie McLean, <laughs> man. Or the little nose ones. Where yeah. you're going to get the line, the bifocals where you can look up or look down. I need to, do you know the ones that I like? And um, who is our boy in New Jersey? Your cousin-in-law, big firefighter dude. Oh, Jimmy Patterson. Jimmy. He used to have these really cool things on the back of his phone and they just flip out and then you pop them on your nose. I need to get some of them. I'll speak to him, find out where he got them. Yeah, yeah. And shout um, out to Jimmy. He's doing some great stuff on Glenn Fiddick and the rest of the Ron Gantz and stuff. But Does day. he listen to the show? He will do now. He'd better fucking listen to the show. <laughs> I think he does, actually. He's, he texts me about it a couple of times, so yeah. Nice. <laughs> so was it, I was Vegas, dude. You were just in Vegas, right? I was. Vegas was Vegas, was Vegas, Mitch. So, you know, it was a great time. You know, got to see some phenomenal places. We were out with the team at Aria, out with the team at, um, you know, MGM, and right across all their properties. So just fantastic. I mean, just great stuff. Like, we're out to see the guys at Wakuda, where... Uh, I'm sure you'll post a wee video earlier. I had one of the most impressive desserts I've ever had in my life, followed by a few glasses of Shibui. So thanks to the team there for carrying our brand. But yeah, it was brilliant. So nice. no complaints. Dude, Aria always reminds me, I remember that time with Jody, and we'd done like a full day out and like going to bars all night in Vegas. And then we're staying in the Aria and we walk in there and there's like a massive queue for the nightclub. And we turn around to Jody and we're like, all right, come on, Mr. Vegas. You got five minutes to get us in here. and it was we timed him and it was like three yeah. and a half minutes not only yeah. did he get us into the club we were sitting at a private table with a bottle of balvenie on it and we're like all right dude <laughs> you are you are mr vegas you win it, it, it was pretty impressive i remember that one it was good. <laughs> well we've got a cracking show lined up much right 
Yeah, so the subject of today's show... Subject? We, the subject... Oh, what, wonderful, show, Mr. Bond. That was my Sean Connery <laughs> impression. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. What are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, so we're, yeah, what we're going to talk about is, I think something that's kind of close to our hearts, right? Both of us being whiskey entrepreneurs, you've got your own business with Shibui, I've got my own business with Copper Cairn. So we thought we would look at whiskey entrepreneurs, both past and present, which I think is kind of cool because, you know, there's there's a lot of great stories in the history of whiskey on how people really brought it to life and 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 created their own story. But there's also really cool stories right now of people doing the same thing in the modern yep. day whiskey world, right? So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do you? So here's an interesting I, thing, Nicholas. The, yeah. When we discussed this, we put you had someone in mind, and I didn't like that person because I didn't agree that they were an entrepreneur. So let's define to everyone how we're talking about a whiskey, whiskey entrepreneur here. Yep. So a whiskey entrepreneur, I think what we're, we, we're going to establish is someone who's done something off their own bat. So not not somebody who's in the business working for another company, but does innovation, but more someone that's created something from scratch, created their own distillery, started a brand, done something that's reshaped or um, defined one of the categories, I, f I think maybe, that they, they are they're experiencing, which I love. Like I love the history of whiskey and and, and I actually I like the, the history of the people in whiskey. So I think that this is one of the things that Mitch, you and I have talked about kind of off the show, which is just like, there are there are so many of them. and and. and yep especially now with new distillies, the craft whiskey movement, not just in Scotland, but some of the stuff in America, which I will touch on later on uh, because I've got uh, someone up my sleeve that I think is just, is a, is a really exciting historical story that some people in in Scotland may not know uh, for one of the biggest brands in the world. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think is, that, is that a fair assumption that, that, that defines the whiskey entrepreneur? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, to back that up, I put out a little story on instagram on our not another whiskey podcast instagram if you're not following us there by the way a little plug um just to ask people who they thought was their whiskey entrepreneur and we got quite a lot back from that which was really cool to see and it was almost like i didn't have to do that definition to to people that follow us because they they got it straight away so just i just wanted to read out some of the comments that we got from that uh, words over whiskey calls out annabelle thomas from knocknean which is Appreciate a great it. shout um, I remember I went to Nocnean when they literally first opened their doors and I remember sitting down and I knew nothing about this distillery. Uh, went went over there, they knew we were coming, sat down and Annabelle sat down with us and I was like, oh, so what is it you do here? And she, <laughs> someone like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, she's the owner? And I was like, all right, cool. But like super cool, super down to earth, uh, just showed us around, it was, it was great and amazing to see you know, what okay. Annabelle and Nocnean are doing right now. So definitely an entrepreneur there. Um, Andrew Flat from Brora. What's up, Andrew? Uh, shame you didn't let me into your distillery last week, but I won't hold that against you. Uh, he calls out Mac McPherson from the Malt Room in Inverness, which is another great shout. Next yeah. time you're up in this neck of the woods, Nicholas, I need to take you up there. They've got this great room up the top of, of uh, the Malt Room. Uh, he totally looked after us when we were there. It was about maybe three years ago now, actually. And I've, I haven't been back since, but I definitely need to go and uh, see that that place again. Yeah. Um, 
Liz Locke, great shout out here, which was Sukinda Singh for starting online whiskey in 1999 when dot coms were falling. So you, you agree with that one on Sukinda? I think he redefined what it meant to, to, to be able to go and buy whiskey and getting access to whiskey. So a lot of people in Scotland specifically, you know, you can go and visit distilleries and get access to stuff that you really do need to do planes, trains and automobiles to get your hands on in Zakinder, yeah. I think not not only championed that for the UK, but he then made it like he brought Scotland's number one, in our opinion, number one export outside of oil, mm-hmm. but number one export uh, to the masses around the world and and, and created a, a, a standard within that as well. So it was it was always a very positive hub for whiskey. Um, even if they were writing about brands or scoring brands or kind of doing tastings on brands, I always thought it was really positive. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, totally. And then, and then obviously what he's doing now with Elixir and Tormor, uh, the new yep. distillery on Isla, which I'm blanking on the name of right now. Uh, really cool to see all that going on with, with what he's doing. So taking it to the next level and actually going and making whiskey. Um, Ian Bruce, 83, John and George Urquhart from Gordon McPhail. That's a bit of a no brainer. I think Gordon McPhail yep, yep. biggest, uh, independent bottler now. Amazing work that they've done. Obviously, just opened the cairn as well. And then our good friend Becky Paskin jumped on. Um, you know, Be- Becky had quite a few for us, actually, uh, yeah. including Ian Croucher at North Star Spirits, which is a great shout. Ian's been on the show before when we were down in Campbelltown. Um, our good friend Deval Gandhi, who's, you know, used to be the Lakes, used to be McAllen, now doing his own thing, which is great to see. Alison Park from Bren Whiskey. Uh, another great Good one. Sure. Becky also called out Annabelle Thomas again, and yeah. uh, Jackie Saikan, who's the former Old Forester master blender, who's gone in to start her own bourbon hidden barn, yeah. along with her own line of whiskey-inspired fragrances. Mm-hmm. So, great shout out there from from people uh, within the business. I think that there's definitely a few potential guests for the show within that lineup, so that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to our chat this week, Mitch, what are you sipping on? What are you drinking? Well. I don't know if you guys remember, but the last episode that we did, I mentioned a little brand called Turntable. Um, so I, these had literally just arrived uh, on my doorstep when, when we recorded the last time. And I've actually had some time to, to sit down and have a look at these. And, you know, I'm super impressed with these. So to give you guys a little bit of background, if you haven't heard of, of Turntable Spirits yet, um, the two brothers, Ali and Gordon Stevenson, and they've come up with this new brand of blended Scotch whiskies. And they've been in the industry for 20 years. I need to sit down and kind of have a chat with them. I'd like to, to hear their story. Uh, but they've basically created three different expressions of their blended whiskey. And, and they've really related it to, um, to music. If you hadn't got the, the term table kind of terminology uh, there, that's, that's how it all goes. So the three different ones, the first one is, um, it's called Joy, Discovery and, and Intervention. And I love this. And the cool thing about this, Nicholas, I was showing you kind of over the camera, the, you know, the, the, the packaging uh, of it. And what I love is they've, they've gone kind of compass box here. So what they've done is they've been very transparent about the casks and the distilleries that they've been using. So for this first one, um, they've put in uh, Nokdu Chinkapin Barrel, 17% of that, uh, 40% Linkwood, 24% Gervin X Red Wine Barrel, and then a Strathclyde X Cognac cask. So this is for track number one. And this is like super, super fresh. Get like tropical notes from this. 
really, I could see this, you know, a summer's day, you definitely want to sip on this. Probably make a really good highball as well. But I think out of the three of them, that is my favorite. Um, track number two is called Firestarter for obvious reasons, because we've got 40% Kalila in here. There's a really nice bonfire smoke, but then you get some Cameron Bridge popping through, which gives it this coconutty vanilla note. Uh, then there's some Ben Rinnis and some Inver Gordon in there. Uh, this is the biggest one with regards to sort of PPMs. Smoke content really punches through. And then there's my least favorite, but and, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not to my taste. I do love the name of this, though, uh, Purple Haze. And this is very sherry related. This is a full bodied sherry bomb. It's got some Craig Ellicky, Oloroso sherry butts in there. Uh, we've got some Balmenic Pedro Jemez sherry punchins and an Inver Gordon sherry barrel. So this is just a big, viscous, full bodied, tannic uh, note. And I actually, this is the first one that I tried. And I wish it wasn't the first one because it's my least favorite. But like I say, these are fantastic. I'm uh, really, really enjoying these. Thank you guys for sending them along. We need to get them on the show, uh, Nicholas, and we yeah. need to get some samples to you as well. These are all at 46% ABV. And I yep. kind of had a little look on them. Master and Malta selling these for £69 a bottle. So cool. really, really nice. Really enjoying them. Well done, guys, on your new whiskies that you've brought out. So anyway, that was, that was quite a lot on what I've been drinking. What about you, Palaki? What have you been drinking? <laughs> I've got one dram in front of me. <laughs> like, no, so I'm, I'm drinking a glass of Revival right now. So as you probably heard me just crack the bottle while you were speaking, because Jesus, man, you go on. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, opened that one up. This is, this is this is a cracker, non-chill filter, natural color whiskey from Glenglasso, 46% ABV. It's sweet. It's rich. It's got a little hint of sea salt caramel in the back end. It's a really pretty whiskey, part of kind of their non-age statement lineup. Um, I've had that bottle for a while actually, but it's just delicious. It's a delicious drinker. Like it doesn't every time I go back to it, it still overperforms of of what my expectations are going to be. It's just really pretty and great, well-made whiskey. That's interesting. You're chatting about uh, uh, drinking that because I was chatting about it today to my good are friend Neil Neil Strachan, who's just taken over the distillery ambassador job within those that group of um, distilleries. So yeah, he's uh, he's promised to take me up there soon, and he's got some pretty sexy stuff that he's been uh, playing about with up there. So that's kind of exciting. So before we get kicked off there with our chat on entrepreneurs, match, what's should we chat about some of the things in the news? In the news, what's been happening in the whiskey news? What's hot and what is not? You want to kick this off? Sure, no problem at all. So basically, we'll start with Coleman. But this is not really a whiskey story, but it is pretty cool. The guys at Kilcoman had purchased a derelict Bentley mansion and nine acres of land located in St. Philip because they are building, drum roll, a rum distillery. Uh, so these guys, these whiskey producers, nice. plan to write buildings around the, the, the house to for you know rum distillery, mill, cask warehousing, and they're also going to purchase sugarcane from the mansion's surrounding fields. And it sounds like they're going to do that kind of almost like farm-to-table style of rum, uh, so that's pretty cool. Like I think Anthony Wills has teamed up with Frank Ward, the former managing director of the Barbados Distillery Mount Gay. Uh, so you know you've got some rum big hitters. Uh, in the, is that what you call them? Rum big hitters. Rum, I don't know. Yeah, rummers, rum runners, rummers. The rum rumple stiltskins of the the rum world. I don't know. Either way, uh, pretty cool stuff. Twenty two and a half million 
on a funding package these guys spent on it uh, with obviously raising that money and funds to kind of put it apart. But they're going to put the brand across 50 different countries, France, Germany, US, China being its biggest markets. So it's pretty cool, like pretty, pretty, pretty fun stuff. Kill home and what I mean, what that that must be like, twelve, thirteen, maybe fifteen years old now, something like that. Do you think? Do you think Anthony Wills is just like, oh man, I'm getting pissed off with the Isle of Weather. Fuck this, let's go Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> We've made enough money here. We can do 100%. this. Hundred percent. Uh, you know, it's eating him up of it. He's like, right, do you know what we really need? <laughs> Barbados. I hear him. Barbados. I'm in. Sign me up if he needs well, needs if he needs an ambassador. Put, yeah. put me out there. It's it's like he's gone. Shall we shall we just uh, see if we can write off a Barbados home? Oh yeah, fuck it. We'll just we'll shove a rum distillery in there. That'll work. No problem at all. <laughs> ah, good fun, good times, good times. Right. So something that's not so much news, but a correction from our whiskey awards episode. So I mentioned I put this in here that we mentioned, but it it was me, Nicholas. It was totally me. Um, so I mentioned that the San Francisco San Francisco. Spirit Award winner this year was Glen Scotia 25. It was actually the wrong year that I got for that. So well done me for not being able to read a year. Uh, and I was corrected by our friend Gary Mills from Glen Scotia. Hey, Gary, thanks for taking the time to correct my stupid ass there. Uh, but congratulations to Locke Loman. So where we are right now with the, the San Francisco Spirit Awards are they've given all the medals out, but they haven't said the best of the best. And Loch Lomond actually picked up a total of 17 medals, including eight double golds, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, the, the, these uh, awards are going to be announced later in the year as we record this. It's going to be in Vegas, mate, in July. So you'll probably be there and you'll be able to drink them all afterwards. I will. I'm, I, honestly, I actually might be back there. I've already been invited <laughs> back. I was there this week, but of course like you most things, you know, it's the, the call to nature to go back to Las Vegas and drink whiskey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to, twist my arm. So moving on to more whiskey news, our friends at Loch Lee have debuted a cast strength whiskey, which is pretty fun. So this is a Lowland Distillery, Loch Lee. Uh, it's, I think it's a first ever um, cast strength whiskey, which is pretty cool. So they're based in Ayrshire. Uh, this is the cast strength batch one, bottled straight from cask at 60.1% ABV. So it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's been aged and matured in ex-bourbon and Oloroso sherry casks. Uh, and said to work particularly well at very high strength, amplifying all the fruit notes and nut notes, those kind of cereal flavours of the house style of whiskey. So I'm sure they'll be sending casks to Mitch Bouchard because he's probably already <laughs> requested them. This is John Campbell's juice, so master blender, uh, and with a phenomenal background. And he's probably one of the nicest people in the whiskey business that I've met, yeah. uh, which is there are many to choose from, but he is a rock star within that. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to to hopefully get to taste it. Yeah, and shout out to Sarah Snedden, who I managed to catch up with last week down at the Highlander. Uh, and if you guys want to need, know more about Loch Lee, then check out our episode we did quite a while back where we sat down with John at the distillery uh, and talked about what they're doing there. So really interesting stuff. Glen Eagles has brought out their own line of whiskies, which is pretty cool. So I like about this one. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you do that, right? It feels weird that they didn't have one, right? Right, yeah. I like the, I don't know if you've seen the, the artwork on this, but I think it's pretty funky. It's it's very similar very to, cool. I think, a collaboration they did with Glen Turret a while back. Yep. And it relates to all the pursuits you can do at Glen Eagles, darling. Yep. So fishing, falconry, shooting, and of course, horse riding. Uh, but kind of cool, they've related, it's different distilleries for all the different activities. The fishing bottle is from Royal Brackler. 
Kalila is the source distillery for the falconry. And the one that's really quite unique and quite, well, limited, I suppose, is the shooting expression, because that's from the Imperial Distillery. Uh, as you guys listening probably know, the Imperial Distillery doesn't exist anymore. It was torn down in the 80s. So only 191 bottles available of that one. And then the last one, which is horse riding, is from Tobamori. So that's kind of cool. Um, now, yep. I, I haven't seen... It says in this release that they are going to be, obviously, to, to buy by the dram in the, the hotel bars, and you can purchase it from um, their whiskey shop there, which the full set is going to be £1,200 or $1,491 in your funny money, Nicholas. Um, I, I don't know if this is going to be available anywhere else. I, I couldn't really find any more information on that. I'm assuming it would be something that's going to be specific for Glen Eagles, since they can sell everything there. But yeah, cool yeah. to see that that going on. Those bottles remind me a little bit of the old, I think McAllen did the release like this. That was like, um, it, it was round about like the the spay and the, the, the fishing beat and things like that. And some of the, I think they were distillery exclusives. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but just from like the color pantones, the kind of artworks, really yeah. kind of cool. Like almost like, almost looks like a kind of 19, 1930s, 1940s advertisement for, for whiskey and outdoor pursuits is very cool. I actually really like them. They look yeah. lovely. So a good excuse to go up to Glen Eagles and drink some whiskey then. Absolutely. Absolutely. The next uh, little piece of news, I actually really like this one. This is, this is almost a uh, talking about uh, entrepreneurial. This is a, a great segue into once we start to speak about these entrepreneurs, but these guys as well, Stoning Distillers, a Danish whiskey company. And these guys started to run into a bit of bottle shortages and with the supply and demand issues, uh, that kind of went on across after COVID and things like that, and it's still ongoing for, for certain brands. It left Stoning uh, without its signature bottles and forced the guys to kind of rethink a little bit about what they were doing and how they were going to get people to, to get their actual bottles. And what they came up with was, let's give them an unlabeled bottle. Uh, so this is for Stoning Rye, uh, the Chaos or Smoke. Uh, and it's a selection of, they basically come with a sticker inside it where you get to basically do your own limited edition DIY bottling which I think is pretty cool. You get to, to kind of design your own stuff. So these limited edition bottles are available at the Whiskey Exchange for about 60, 60, 60 quid. So $74.79, which is very specific instead of just saying 75 bucks. But yeah, $60 uh, from Whiskey Exchange. And I think that's pretty cool. Like uh, the, the collections are also available from Masters of Malt and Ocado, uh, included their limited edition rye. But I think this is pretty cool. Like, I think this is a, yeah. a, a quite an innovative way to to kind of clear up something that's obviously something's out with their control. And how can you control something that's out yeah, with their control? Well, let, let consumers go and do something fun. It's a quirky brand, man, and, and they're doing a lot of uh, a lot of investment right now. I know a, a few people that have jumped on board with Stoning, and uh, they're making some waves. You know, this goes back to when I started with Diageo. I remember we did this with Diageo. And when I say we, it was kind of when we were um, we were doing an event once, and it was uh, Barry Wilson that I used to work work with, and me and my boss got a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label and just got a sharpie and wrote Happy Birthday all over it, and then drew a bunch of cocks on it. So that kind of the same thing, you know. Things never change, right? Jeez, man, <laughs> that's the standard of banter that we've created here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Anyway, on with the show. Let's get into this, Nicholas. Let's we we start talking about 
whiskey entrepreneurs and we we talked about we're going to mention some of our whiskey entrepreneurs that we've picked and selected so i'm going to kick this off and i'm going to go back in in time here uh, and look at one from the past so i've picked andrew usher as my first one so for those that haven't heard about andrew usher he was born in 1824 edinburgh boy big andy the whiskey raj as we call them in edinburgh I don't think I think I just made that up. We didn't call him that at all. Um, but he was he was born into whiskey essentially. His father, Andrew Senior, just to confuse things, he was a spirits dealer uh, and started his company back in 1813. So by 1846, Andrew Junior and his brother John became partners in the family business. Then in 1859, they bought Glen Sines Distillery, renaming it the Edinburgh Distillery. Uh, and su securing a, a supply of their single malt. Along with this, they built what was known, well, at the time was the largest warehouse in the heart of Edinburgh in St. Leonard's. So I think when it comes to Andrew Usher, the reason I've picked him is he wasn't the first ever whiskey blender out there. He wasn't the first to pioneer this, but he was the first to really recognize a brand, a whiskey brand and, and marketing on a brand. And he did that with old vatted Glenlivet. Uh, which you can see if you go to the um, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Experience in Edinburgh, you can see some really old bottles of of that that exist still today. So cool to see, and you know he worked very closely with uh, John Smith up at Glenlivet to get that liquid down there. Now one of the things that I heard is it wasn't all Glenlivet that was in there, and it was only around about twelve percent of that liquid. So a little bit controversial, but again, an entrepreneur sometimes never lets the, the facts get in the way of a good story, right? Um, <laughs> so he did a lot of charity work. And, um, you know, when we talk about Andrew Usher, he, he started up the Institute of Public Health in the University of Edinburgh. He gifted a building to accommodate it. And for those that have been to, you know, a few music gigs in Edinburgh, then you may have visited Usher Hall, uh, a building that he contributed £100,000 to just before his death. So unfortunately, he never actually saw that completed, and it was opened by his widow in 1914. So there you go, my whiskey entrepreneur from the past, Andrew Usher, Slanch. Very cool, Slanch of I need. Um, well, I'm going to take over now, Mitch. I'm going to talk about somebody. I'm going to do stateside stuff here just for fun. So the, the couple of people, the one from my past and one from my present, and there's a little kind of sneaky, sneaky hidden uh, twist in my next one. But for this one. I wanted to talk about somebody that I actually personally met just as he was beginning to build this distillery. So this the guy I'm going to feature on is a guy called Chip Tate. So for those of you that don't know, Chip Tate was the gentleman who basically built from scratch with his own hands Balcones Distillery. And Balcones, arguably in the United States, defined what craft whiskey could and should look like. A very, very small production site. But all focused on great quality of product. So I think there's it's fair to say in the USA, as craft distilling boomed, every single man and their dog came to the table like, we've got craft distillery, usually with the tagline of, we're the first distillery to do this in this town since Prohibition kind mm -hmm. of chat, uh, which was fine, right? Not to, everybody's trying to do their best. But within that, there's a fine line between craft and crap. Like some of the juice just wasn't good enough. Like it just wasn't right. Um, and mainly because it was just people that weren't didn't know what they were doing or that thought they, you know, a passion project, but 
that you know that you know how difficult it is to actually make and distill a liquid like it's a real it really is a, a talent and an art form and chip tate was a gentleman who who came from a, a chemical engineering background and a chemistry background he was also a, 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 a i think he had a degree in um um nuclear physicist i think I'm, I'm not even joking he's probably one of the smartest well-read an infuriatingly smart human being and probably that <laughs> probably led, led to coming some of the things that happened with balcony so this is a guy that built built this stuff from scratch i actually met him i was doing a balvenie tasting in austin texas and chip had driven in from waco so chips from waco texas he'd come along to the tasting sat and watched me kind of chat away about whiskeys and my thoughts on whiskey and at the very end he came up to me, Mitch, and he said, you know what, I actually make whiskey myself. I'd like your opinion on it. Can you taste some of it? And you and I have been here before where, you know, kind of home distillers come up and give you something that's crazy moonshine that's going to make you see double and all these other fun stuff. And yeah. I said, yeah, no problem. No problem at all. You know, we'll sit down quietly at the end and we got a table and a booth. And he started to pour what was his first run of balconies out in front of me. And I lit up. Like, I was like, holy shit, like this stuff is insane. What are you doing? And, you know, he was using different corn varietals and, 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 and sourcing, like, ancient grains, really, to, mm. to, to produce some of the, the product that he was making. And arguably, uh, Balcones just was just a baller brand. Uh, they ended up taking on financing from 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 people that Chip, inevitably, long story short, fell out with, and they ended up buying him out of Balcones. But he was the founding mm. father of Balcones. His journey continues. So undeterred by this, he took took his buyout money and started to started up his next business, Tate and Company Distilling. And Tate and Company Distillery will go live, I think, next year. He has again, he's done it himself, and built four copper pot still uh, uh, stills in his in his new facility, which you know all hand hammered. I think it's just incredible, like that. This is the, the the length and dedication that these guys go to. But it's really about craftsmanship, dreamers. And, you know, even our good friend, uh, Dave Broom, referred to Chip as he's really, he put the marker in the ground showing how a small-scale distillery could actually work. So for me, he's somebody that is just, you know, a real pioneer, really kind of championed and recreated what craft whiskey distilling could look like and and deserves his place in this conversation. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I remember meeting Chip once briefly in, in Vegas. There seems to be a lot of Vegas chat in this, this, this uh, episode. But yeah, such a nice guy as well. And and for me, yeah. that was like, oh, wait a minute, Texas is doing whiskey now. I remember having that like thought in my head when when yeah. Balcones came then, out, you know. And then he really did. And, and now there's like four or five really great whiskey distilleries in Texas, hands down, because of Chip Tate. Like yeah, these yeah. guys went, oh, wait a minute here, you know, Garrison Brothers and other people like that followed suit. And when we're coming up around about the same time, but like it's all like the once once the benchmark had been set for that quality level, I think that, I think a lot of people and, and other distilleries around the USA lifted their game and they realized, wait a minute, being craft, just telling people you're craft and artisanal isn't good enough. The liquid needs to perform. And uh, and Chip definitely was 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 a, a pioneer within that. Yeah, and shout out to our friend Heather Green, who's doing that now. A hundred percent. Actually, I just had a chat with her the other day. So that's another great example. Like, we are spoiled for choice. Like, Heather would be another person uh, for Milliman Green. And for those of you that can get Milliman Green, uh, listen in the USA, go and buy and drink this brand. The juice is insane. Like, I was, I, I, I love Heather, and I knew that if she was going to put her name to something, that it was going to be, the quality was going to be fantastic. 
But even for me, man, I was like, this juice is insane. Very, very great. Yeah, just yeah. great whiskeys. Yeah, I haven't tried any yet. Heather, send me some over here. Show me. <laughs> That's all. It's the part of the Mitch Bouchard begging part portion of Not Another Whiskey podcast. Hey, Come it's gotta, on, man. Got to be put in there, man. It's got to be put in there. Your shells listen, are overflowing. Back to back to this side of the pond. Uh, so I'm going to go with someone modern as well, because obviously I did... Uh, did a, an old school one and and this kind of relates to an episode that we did recently and i suppose this guy is is when i was thinking about this it, he kind of stuck in my mind because um it was so fresh from the conversation that i had with him and it's a distillery that i go to quite a lot as well and i see it just going from strength to strength um so it's it's billy walker i mean you know you talk about an entrepreneur sure. that's done something unbelievable a boy from your neck of the woods, Nicholas. Um, and you look at what he's done, starting off as a chemist, same as, as Chip, is what you were ch chatting about earlier on. Um, and then he's, you know, working for some big companies in production, in blending, and he could have just stayed there and probably been a master blender within those big companies. But his entrepreneurship kicks in 2004 when he he, he acquires three distilleries in, in Glen Glassock, Ben Reich, and Glen Dronick. You know, he takes them from from strength to strength, and then we see him selling these to to Brown Foreman in, in twenty sixteen. And as I said to him in the interview, I thought you would have just pissed off on a desert island and that yeah, you know yeah. taking the money and run. But he's the kind of guy who, in his own words, he had unfinished business to do. So a year later in twenty seventeen, he buy, buys Glenallachy, and you know, again, talk about a, a whiskey that went from from zero to hero. We see that from 2017 just being a nothing distillery that was basically a, you know a filler let's face it it was a filler for shivas it was owned yeah. by perno uh to a single malt that won wins the best single malt in the world so you know quite an incredible guy who's not shy about pushing the boat out about experimenting um about bending the rules a little bit you know and and, and seeing what he can do so yeah i mean you know modern entrepreneur for me would definitely be Billy Walker. And if you guys haven't listened to that episode yet, go back, have a listen to that. Um, he gets kind of really down and dirty as to, to what he's done in his career. And he's pretty open and honest about everything as well, which is, is cool to hear. Very cool, mate. Great shout out. And I 100% I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so I'm going to dip a little bit into whiskey history here for mm. maybe a little unsung hero. I don't even know if you guys get this brand in, um, in the UK. But it's called Uncle Nearest, and this is a, a, a probably, and in fact, the, the, there's a an author here, a really great author for insight to it called Kirk Miller, and I'll give him a personal shout out because he's a wonderful human being. But the tagline that he put on this when he wrote about this brand was Uncle Nearest is the most important story in American whiskey history, and I cannot agree more. So basically, there's a gentleman called Nathan Green, who. As most people know, the United States has a very checkered history with with uh, African Americans, and this this gentleman was an African American slave who worked effectively on a farm, and he was the master distiller at a, a, a basically what, what what was effectively a preacher who was illicitly distilling, and and Nathan Green uh, um, was the was the master was the master distiller at this, and he. He basically championed and recreated uh, what would become uh, the process, you know, this this uh, really 
really exciting process of, of whiskey making and, and defining the category of, of Tennessee whiskey. So, you know, charcoal filtration, uh, using, you know, maple charcoal to, to filter before the, the spirit made its way into oak barrels. This was his creation. So mm-hmm. most people don't know that this was his creation because they know the other story. So as 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 Nearest Green, Uncle Nearest Green, uh, which was his nickname, uh, worked uh, to basically make this brand, the chore boy who worked for him and was his pal, these guys were friends, it wasn't his slave, this was his buddy, was Jack Daniels. So Jack Daniel learned how to make whiskey from Nathan Green. And I just think it's so cool that this this is this un, almost like forgotten, unspoken about hero. Credit where credit's due here is there's a, a woman that was like, this is an amazing story. We should bring this back. So her name is Fawn Weaver. She's a historian, kind of real estate investor and, and, and best-selling author. And she was like, this story needs to be told. She went back and worked with Green's family members and basically built a distillery to honor this gentleman. And the, you know, Victoria Eddie Butler, who is the great-great-granddaughter of Nina's Green, it helped put together the first two blends and is now becoming this master working with the master blending team as a multiple people work on it, but she's part of the, this team that basically that do all of this. And even better than that, like Jack Daniels um, and the, the, the folks at Brown Foreman, this, so like I say, credit where credit's due, these guys came out and were like, this is one of the most important stories that you guys need mm-hmm. to read about have helped champion and support uh, this brand come to fruition and they are one of the fastest growing bourbon brands now in the US market. But it's, it's a bit of twofold, right? You've got this, this uh, new brand coming to, to focus to recreate the liquids of, of, of Uncle Nearest. But you've also got the man himself, Nathan Green, who really recreated and uh, sorry, who, who, who pioneered sorry, this kind of charcoal melon process. And it, I just think it's, it's such a cool story and such a... It's a it's great to see that liquid, you know, multiple award-winning juices coming into the market again, um, which I think yeah. is super awesome. No, it's a good brand, man. It is available in the UK, and uh, I've tried it before, actually, because our good friend, uh, Tracy Franklin, obviously, was part of that brand for a while. Again, yep. who's been on the show. So if you want to know about Uncle Nearest, go back and check out that episode where she talks about it in detail. Uh, but yeah, very cool brand, and it's good to see that story being told. Um, I, I think when you look at US history, a lot of that kind of stuff gets swept under the carpet, which is absolutely horrendous. hundred percent. But I, I think, I think it's, you know, to, to, this is a difficult story to tell, right? So first and foremost, but this is a man that, you know, lived under slavery and then yeah. w- as a free man, continued to then make whiskey and, and work uh, as head distiller at, at these properties, making some of the most impressive whiskey. And, and really, like I said, pioneering, that flavor profile for Tennessee whiskeys. Yeah. Brilliant. Great to hear him coming to the, the forefront and his legacy being honored. And on that note as well, you know, I think when we look at whiskey entrepreneurs in the past, let's face it, it's a little bit cock heavy. So I delved <laughs> back and found a female when it comes to a whiskey entrepreneur, because let's face it, there isn't that many of them. I wanted to shout out Helen and Elizabeth Cummings from Cardu or Cardow, as it was originally called. And, you know, this is, I think for me, this is an amazing story about females within the whiskey industry back in the 1800s, when, like I said, it was very, very male orientated. So their story goes back to 1811. And uh, Helen 
uh, Cummings and her husband John take out a 19 year lease on the Cardo far farm. So they start making whiskey illegally, right? As most people were doing in Speyside at that time. And there's actually a record that goes back and talks about this happening. It was documented by a gentleman called uh, Brian Speller, who wrote about this in his book of uh, the world of, of malt whiskey. So he describes a moment when the excise officer was approaching. And it goes like this. So on one occasion when brewing, she, as in Helen, was warned that they were about to, to enter her house. Uh, there was just enough time to hide the distilling apparatus to substitute materials of bread making and smear her arms and hands with flour. When the knock came at the door, she opened it with a welcoming smile and the words, come in, I've just been baking. So kind of classic example of, you know, making something, making whiskey illegally in Scotland and then hiding it. Um, but as time progresses, uh, what Helen started to do was actually inviting the excise officers round for dinner. And when serving the meal, she would run out the back and raise a red flag to warn everyone in the village down below that they were present so everyone could hide their illegal stills. So on several occasions, she obviously gets pally with these excise officers, right? And on several occasions, they're like, come on, Helen, just give us a little tip. Let us know where all this illegal whiskey making is happening. She refuses several times, but then she gives in. Um, but she accepted the money to, to kind of do like a setup, if you like. So she basically says to the excise officer, go around the corner there, up into the hills, you'll find some illegal whiskey making equipment that's, that's where someone's making a sale. Basically, she'd got together with everyone in, in the, the area, got all their crap illegal whiskey making uh, stills that they no longer used and set it up there as, as, a, as a plan, you know? So the guy, the Enjoy. excise officer goes up, <laughs> yeah, the excise officer goes up, finds all this stuff, he's happy, he can take that to their boss, she gets the money, splits it with everyone in the village, job done, you know? And, and another great story about illegal whiskey making. But as we progress, kind of what happens with, with, with Helen is she eventually passes over the business to Elizabeth, her daughter. And Elizabeth, uh, unfortunately, her husband passes away. She's left with two young sons. She's got to manage this distillery. She's a single mom, and she does this amazingly well. What she does is she actually builds a whole new distillery. She creates Cardew as a brand that we know today. And then she'd eventually sell the distillery in 1893 to those blenders that you may have heard of, uh, John Walker and Sons, little guys that own that, that small brand. She sold that for £20,500, excluding stocks, which is pretty smart, and managed to get her, her son, John, a seat at the board at John Walker. So very, very smart lady, talking about an, an entrepreneur, you know, next level stuff right there. So Elizabeth, Helen, Cummings, amazing work. Well done. I salute you. We tip our hat to you. Well played. Mitch, that was a banging show. Really it was enjoyed good, that. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. Hope everybody else listening in enjoyed the show. What um, are we doing next? That's a great question. What are we doing next? I don't know. You've got the lineup. Usually have guests. Actually, I tell you who we're trying to get on the show. Uh, Keith Bonington. Uh, so we're trying to get him. He's a gentleman that I work with at Edmonton that's now doing some IB stuff. 
and multiple whiskies that I think are insanely good. Well, so that's what we're trying to do, but I can tell you what we're actually doing because I do have the schedule in front of us. So the next episode after this, we're, I, I went down to the Cairn Distillery and sat down with uh, the guys there. And then we managed to get our friend, Mary Winters on the line, who's the distillery manager there. So we're going to be talking all things Cairn, again, another new distillery, bringing you all the fresh news from all the fresh distilleries in Scotland, right here, right now. Well, not right now, next week. <laughs> Are you ready to drink? There you go. Well, All right, guys, but well, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Check us out on our website. Follow us on any program, platform, I should say, that you listen to your podcasts on. Give us a wee review. That'd be nice. We'd like that. Nicholas would like that. Thank you very Bye. Much. See you.